The EY Ireland CEO Outlook Report is out now. Search ey.com slash ie slash CEO and discover the key topics on the minds of Ireland's leading CEOs. Hello and welcome to this week's Inside Business Podcast. I'm Cliff Taylor filling in this week for Kieran Hancock. The IDA recently announced record results for the first half of 2022. In this week's podcast, we talked to its Chief Executive Martin Shannon, who is to leave the role early next year, about his time in the job and the challenges facing Ireland in continuing to attract high levels of foreign direct investment. Martin Shannon, IDA Chief Executive, thanks for, for joining us. Just, I suppose, to go back to the start, uh, you've, you've, you've recently announced that you'll be leaving the IDA in a few months' time. So I'm just interested in getting a kind of a view of, of your career. Tell us how you came to join the IDA in 2014. I know you previously worked in, in tourism and in state industrial policy. How did you land in uh, the IDA Chief Executive job? What, what attracted you to it? Yeah, I, you know, I'm 23 years in the public sector, uh, Cliff. I um, uh, most of that uh, has been involved in kind of enterprise development of one sort or another. Um, when I joined the public sector in uh, 1999, I joined CERT, actually, the then state tourism training agency. I joined from the tourism sector, as you've mentioned. CERT then mer- uh, merged with Board Fault to form Fault Ireland, and I, I was in Fault Ireland for uh a short number of years, and and then I moved to to, to Furfos, uh, which uh, was the national policy advisory agency on enterprise science, technology, and innovation. Um, I, I I was in Furfos for um, two thousand and five. Uh, I became CEO of um, Furfos in uh, two thousand and ten. Uh, worked obviously very closely uh, in that role with my colleagues in both um, the CEOs of both uh, Enterprise Ireland and IDA Ireland and indeed with my colleagues in the Department of Enterprise and it just seemed like a a natural uh, step at the point where the role in IDA uh, came up. Uh, It is obviously a very interesting role um, uh, to put it mildly and um, I, I just felt at the time that it was uh, a good next step uh, for me and uh, obviously became CEO of uh, IDA um, back in 2014. And when you landed in the IDA, okay, the organisation was doing well, but I guess it was a difficult time in the European economy emerging from a from the financial crash, a bit of uncertainty around. What was your approach on, on day one? How did you, what did you do when you landed there? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the first thing to say is that IDA has had a, a great track record over many years and prior to, to my arrival and uh, my predecessor had done excellent work in uh, in a very difficult time post the financial crisis, uh, which we were still trying to recover from in 2014. It, it fell to me to put a new strategy uh, in place. And uh, I felt that the, uh, given where we were at the time and the, the many challenges facing us, that that strategy had to be hugely ambitious. And, and that's what we set about uh, doing. We set out very ambitious targets for attracting investment and, and uh, uh, attracting jobs. Uh, for the first time in 2014, we set out regional targets for um, the organization and, uh, and made those regional targets um, public. So we said how many investments we would attract to, into each region. That, that uh, was a centerpiece of that um, first strategy. It, to support that regional um, attraction, we set about a, a property program investing in uh, turnkey property solutions. 
And then um, the other thing that was very much on my mind at the time was we were uh, then uh, at that point very heavily um, dependent on the U.S., uh, so we've been very successful over many years in attracting investment um, from the U.S., and that's that's obviously a positive thing. But um, you know, I I did uh, set about diversifying the um, the base and the origin companies from which, uh, countries from which we are attracting uh, in, investment, and particularly while we were trying to grow the whole pie and including investment from the U.S. In relatively speaking, we were trying to grow. Um, uh, Europe and uh, what we term growth markets, which is mainly Asia Pac, more quickly, uh, so that we had a more diverse space. Obviously, there's been significant success on the regional front. Uh, in the meantime, what about the diversification front? It's it's probably difficult enough. Uh, I know we've had TikTok landing here recently with a big investment, but we're still very reliant on the on the American firms. Yeah, so we we actually made um, reasonable progress uh, and reasonably steady progress on re- reducing our dependence on the US. Uh, I think right up to the the pandemic, right up to to twenty nineteen, and then twenty twenty and twenty twenty one were much more difficult, uh, particularly in terms of investment coming from Asia, and we actually saw an increase in investment coming from the US. So that kind of um, you know, relatively, the U.S. became um, more important again. But I think what 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 has our strategy for, uh, in Asia Pac in particular has been to to deepen and to diversify and uh, within Asia Pac itself. And you know, we are now seeing very substantial investments coming um, from uh, Asia. And you mentioned there um, TikTok. Uh, TikTok has grown obviously exponentially in Ireland in the uh, just little over three years that it's been here. It has a base of uh, 2,000 people. It's just recently announced it was adding another 1,000 people in, in Dublin. Uh, and, and again, just to, to go back, I suppose, and think, uh, you know, uh, I, I first met with ByteDance, which is uh, TikTok's parent uh, company in, uh, in 2018. And um, not a lot of people uh, at that point would have known um, uh, about TikTok. uh, And we were interested in their parent company because of what they were doing in China and their actual their growth in China. And we felt at some point that this would um, uh, could lead to something um, uh, for Ireland. And I suppose what it speaks to is the analysis that my my colleagues um, both in Ireland and overseas do uh, of of companies to understand, I suppose, their growth trajectory. You know, so there's there's there is some science behind this, and uh, we we do a lot of company analysis and market analysis that lead us to those uh, kind of rich leads, which ultimately, sometimes many years later, um, uh, and many many years in some cases later, but but you know, it's starting those discussions w- w- with the company so that when they do think about internationalizing, that Ireland is first and foremost uh, to mind. Obviously, looking at the broader picture, I mean, it's been an extraordinarily successful period for foreign direct investment. I think the job numbers since you took over have gone from something like 160,000 to 275,000 in FDI-supported companies, which is an extraordinary increase. I know you've been asked this question a hundred times, but what what are the key reasons for that? You know, you're in touch with the chief executives of these companies. You've seen them come in. You've seen the projects and expansions landed. What has explained that big acceleration in the last kind of four or five years? What is really important 
um, at the moment is stability and consistency. And uh, Ireland is seen as very stable and very um, uh, consistent in policy terms. Uh, we've obviously um, had, uh, you know, successive governments have promulgated pro-business policies since uh, the late uh, 50s. We're outward looking. Uh, I suppose our model is uh, uh, trade and attracting investment and you know uh, investors understand that we have a very strong track record uh, and you know the companies that have come here have been successful and have grown and we point to that a lot and we use those uh, exemplars um, I would say our um, availability of talent is is crucial um, and I, I've always said this that this is you know the number one discussion that we have with client companies and you know our success there is a function of two things. It is the fun- a function of how successful Ireland has been at aligning its education system with the needs of enterprise, and that's an ongoing endeavour. We will never be done doing that. But Ireland, I think, relatively has done a good job, and obviously we have very high levels of education in Ireland. But then, uh, secondly, the fact that Ireland has remained open and welcoming uh, to talent uh, from elsewhere, I think, has been hugely important. And of course, that is not the case in other um, countries, in other jurisdictions. And that kind of sets us uh, apart uh, at the moment. Corporate tax is important. Uh, it is um, part of the offering. We've been always clear on that. Again, I think it has been more about the consistency and stability of our corporate tax um, uh, both rate and regime rather than the level it was actually set at. Um, obviously, we've made changes now, or there are changes afoot there. Uh, if the OECD framework is to come into being, Ireland has committed uh, to that. I believe that is absolutely the right thing. I think anything else would, uh, any other decision would have left Ireland isolated, and indeed the companies that operate uh, here isolated. And uh, I, I, you know, we haven't seen any adverse impact um, as a result of uh, that. Uh, uh, decision uh, to, to enter into uh, the agreement. Uh, I mean, just moving, you know, just reflecting on the last kind of two years in particular, 2020 uh, 20 and 2021 20, in the midst of the pandemic, obviously, you know, um, government um, had to introduce restrictions. That meant essentially the domestically trading part of the economy was completely closed. We were very dependent on FDI um, in terms of activity and growth and and they delivered that growth. And what really, I think, you know, stood to Ireland during that period is the um, the sectors that we have targeted over uh, the last number of years. So, uh, you know, particularly technology in all its forms and um, then uh, pharmaceuticals, medical technologies, international uh, financial services, business services, engineering, food. And to our mind, and to my mind, they are the um, building blocks of a modern economy. And the fact that we are so heavily invested in those modern sectors really stood, um, uh, you know, the, the, the test during the, the pandemic, where we saw, obviously, in, in a number of those sectors, very significant growth. And in the other sectors, very significant resilience in the uh, teeth of a, a pandemic. So all of those things have, uh, I, I think, are, are parts of the Irish uh, Irish offering. And of course, I have to say uh, at this point that uh, my team is part of the ingredients and they uh, they do an absolutely excellent job, both uh, both here in Ireland, uh, working with the companies that are already invested here and 
um, ensuring that they keep pace with whatever is happening at corporate, whatever is happening in the wider world, and then the team abroad attracting in investment. And uh, they, they, they do a fantastic job. I know Brexit obviously is one of the things that you had to navigate in your time here. Uh, and, and clearly some financial companies came here as, as a result. But is there a sense we're now benefiting from that on a wider scale with companies that are looking for, I suppose, a stable 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 government stable policy would maybe tend to choose ireland rather than uh, rather than the uk yeah i think you know in the immediate aftermath of the referendum in 2016 um you know it, uh, brexit was an existential issue for um companies and particularly regulated uh, companies um and uh, you know that's particularly speaks to financial services but also uh, some activities in the pharmaceutical and medical technologies uh, sectors and a, a small number of other sectors where you need, you know, qualified person sign off within the European Union in order to be able to trade into the, uh, the European Union. So we saw uh, a significant number of um, financial services companies in particular make decisions in relation to their uh, footprint um, within the UK and Europe. And uh, Ireland benefited uh, in terms of new functions and new activity and new companies coming uh, to Ireland. We weren't the only country that benefited. It's a more distributed model. There were other uh, capital cities that also benefited from uh, that movement. But if you look at the, I suppose, independent analysis from EY and others, uh, you know, they would say that uh, Ireland has benefited most from that uh, movement. And then I think, you know, we have now moved to the situation where uh, essentially um, Brexit is con just background context in that companies that are looking at investing in in, in Europe, they, they have a decision to make. Do you uh, invest in a location within the European Union, which where you can trade freely and your full mobility of team members and staff that you want to attract? Or do you locate in uh, the UK where it is obviously more difficult to trade into the European Union? And I think the, the clear answer is that, you know, a lot of companies are deciding that it is uh, better to be within the European uh, Union bloc. And again, I think that is feeding into the very, very strong figures that we have seen over uh, the last number of years in particular since uh, since 2016 so those that background context is is helping us in terms of winning investment that is not to say that the uk doesn't remain uh, attractive it does i think it always will there's a lot of investment that goes to the uk just to service a uk market and that will obviously continue it's a big market in its own right and i think it's also important to say that you know the uh, the attractiveness of the European Union is lessened by the fact that the UK is outside of it. So, you know, I think we uh, were clear at the time that this was going to have um, a potentially a negative impact on all players uh, here. And I think that is uh, the case. Um, but but certainly, um, you know, Ireland undoubtedly is winning mobile investment that might otherwise have gone to the UK over the period. Who are, who are our other main competitors now? You know, I I tend not to give our uh, our competitors uh, a platform ever, Cliff. To be honest with you, uh, uh, I, I I try not to name them. But let me say this: uh, uh, I I think uh, that you know we have so many countries now that are competing for investment, and and countries that maybe weren't on the radar previously. And we have, um, you know, a lot of uh, up and coming 
um, countries within the uh, European Union from an, uh, an FDI perspective. And I'm thinking particularly of some Mediterranean uh, countries that are fighting very hard for investment. And some Eastern European countries have done a very good job on their proposition. But of course, for many of the larger investments, we're not just competing within the um, the European Union. We are competing much further afield. The you know, g- given that so much of our investment comes from uh, the US, the first decision a uh, a company has to make is to internationalize and move outside of the US. And of course, the reason companies do that is they are either market seeking; they want to access the European market. They are uh, looking to. Um, source talent, so they're, they're uh, seeking talent, or they're seeking innovation and R&D. So there's always a motivation, obviously, to internationalize. But, you know, US states themselves are putting forward very strong propositions as to why companies should do more there. So in this globalized world, uh, you know, uh, companies have a lot of options. Um, I think in on foot of the pandemic, they have even more options again, because the idea of working from you know, maybe locations that weren't seen as possible locations previously uh, is is now a reality. Uh, so in that regard, um, you know, it is an extraordinarily competitive environment out there. And, you know, I, 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 I suppose our, our model is to um, attract investment, um, but it is also to work with those companies once they have landed in Ireland. So, you know, our job doesn't stop at the attraction. And, you know, as I reflect back on my uh time in idea one of the um successes i think has been our ability to um ensure that the existing base continues to innovate and um uh, expand and we have uh, minimized job losses in so much as we can because you know that's equally important there there is work which is entirely unseen you know people will see the big announcement of a new um, a new investment what, what they probably won't see is the amount of work that um, colleagues and I do with existing companies who might otherwise, for one reason or another, have been in jeopardy, but who are now thriving um, because of, you know, the guidance, support and other things that are provided uh, to allow them to continue to, to operate in Ireland. Yeah, that was, uh, leads me nicely to my next question, which was about that kind of deepening of investment here. I mean, it's one of the things that looking in from the outside it's kind of hard to understand the huge increase in the level of activities of these companies uh, leading to massive increases in tax to the Irish exchequer a lot of jobs some of it seems to did some of it relate relate to the movement of intellectual property assets here and, and then investments that followed on from that uh, to deepen their investment here or can you give shine any light on that for us yeah, so I think that, you know I think there's a few things to remark on there. Uh, one is that uh, I mean, you know, our 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 modus operandi here in idea is to try to ensure that we deepen um, the investment that's here and that we move it up the value chain, so to speak, and that you know, so for whatever reason a company comes here in the first instance, our um, uh, our immediate challenge always is to add n- new and additional functions to it, make those functions uh, higher uh, value, uh, attract higher value or turn them into higher value functions. And, you know, you, you can trace that through some of the larger companies that 
that are here in Ireland now in the sense that, you know, there were many of the technology companies uh, who came to either manufacture in the case of uh, Apple PCs or in the case of Microsoft who were producing um, kind of uh, CD-ROMs and, you know, uh, software and so on and the, and the packaging around them. And, uh, you know, st- we, we've moved uh, you know, to a situation where we have uh, global headquarter um, uh, services uh, companies and technology uh, companies. Uh, and that's not by accident, because, again, we work with the companies both at a local level and at a corporate level to understand their strategies, where they're going, to try to ensure we keep um, pace with them. You know, the, the spend in the Irish economy directly from these um, uh, companies continues to increase. Uh, in the last uh, available uh, year, which is um, uh, 2020, in terms of a, a, a full year set of figures, you know, it was 28 billion in spend of pay materials and services. Uh, that has a huge trickle down effect, obviously, on the domestic economy. As you remarked, um, the IDA portfolio of multinationals uh, account for approximately 70% of all corporate tax take. Obviously, some of that um, relates to intellectual property, which those companies have uh, onshored in Ireland and from which they're deriving value and profits, and therefore uh, corporate tax is uh, charged on it. Um, You know, income tax, a very high portion of that actually is derived from the employees of these multinational um, companies. Uh, And again, you know, it was one of the reasons that during the pandemic, we didn't see a precipitate fall off on income tax. It's because of where it's um, de- derived uh, from. So, you know, we we continue to work with companies to try to ensure that they are keeping pace with what is happening. And the two biggest challenges we have at the moment, I think, on that front are obviously the digitalization of all sectors. That, you know, that is a... a, a, a an opportunity from our perspective, but it's also a challenge if uh, those sectors don't keep pace and that they, um, you know, they, they, they're not at the forefront of digitalization of their particular sectors. And, you know, that, that, that could lead to concern. And the second, obviously, then, I suppose, large secular t- uh, challenges around uh, sustainability and ensuring that these companies are doing everything that they can to minimize their impact uh, from a, a carbon uh, reduction perspective uh, in particular. But we, we look at sustainability in its, in its broadest sense. It's everything to do with uh, sustainability and ensuring that the, the, the companies um, you know, have a positive impact in our, on Ireland. And, and again, one of our uh, pillars is about the impact. It's about creating those linkages between what the FDI does and what um, indigenous Irish companies are trying to do and trying to ensure that it's symbiotic and that everybody is winning because of that. Okay. Obviously, you had record results in the first half of this year. Um, but as you said yourself, that the pipeline is often set two or three years in advance with, with meetings. And what, what's the outlook now over the next two to three years? Can, can we maintain this, this pace of inward investment? Is there an inevitable slowdown? Um, have you decided to move out when it's when you're on top? So, 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 so this this is going to be a long answer now, uh, Cliff. You've you've, you've uh, asked very complicated questions there. Uh, so, so I'll deal with the last bit first. I, I've decided to uh, to move on to pastures new because I am eight and a half years doing this uh, role, and if I wasn't moving on in early twenty twenty three, I would be moving on anyway in twenty twenty four because my uh, uh, term would uh, come to an end, and it it 
it suits me to move on um, uh, in 2023. And also, um, it suits, I think, the organization uh, from the perspective that we're going to do a mid term review of strategy at the end of this year or early in um, 2023. Uh, uh, we committed to doing that uh, at the point we launched the strategy because we had um, we had developed the strategy in the midst of the pandemic where it was really difficult to see, you know, through all of the fog and cloud as to what would be. So we committed to doing a midterm. And I, I, I'm very anxious that a new uh, CEO um, would have an opportunity to put his or her stamp on the organization at that point rather than inheriting a, a strategy that I, I have uh, uh, d- designed. Uh, I, I think then um, going back to the outlook and where we're at, I mean, as you as you alluded to, we've had a very, very strong um, first half of the year, and that's a continuation of the record results that we saw in 2021. So there were 152 uh, investments approved by the IDA board in the first half of the year, uh, close to 18,000 jobs associated with those. You know, a, a significant number of those jobs went to regional locations, which I'm particularly happy with. And, uh, you know, there were a significant number of new name investments in those uh, jobs, uh, in those uh, investments as well. So companies coming from the first time, and that's always what you want to see from our perspective. You want um, both existing companies expanding, but you also want a new uh, uh, n- new companies uh, coming in. Uh, I have just completed in the last um, uh, three or four weeks the mid-year uh, reviews with all my teams. So I was in uh, Paris with my European team. I was in Chicago with all of my North American uh, team. Uh, and I virtually, unfortunately, still with uh, my um, uh, Asia Pack and Growth Markets team because it is still difficult to get people in and out of certain countries there. And the, the, the pipeline looks strong is the short version of this. It, uh, you know, um, we, we can see uh, a, a credible uh, pipeline uh, of investment out to year end. Uh, I don't think you'd ever predict beyond that, to be honest with you. Uh, even even predicting out to year end obviously is fraught with a um, you know a possibility of being uh, wrong because any, anything can happen in the intervening period. But as things stand, we, we it, it looks it looks relatively um, uh, positive, and that's notwithstanding the real challenges that exist. Obviously, I mean you know our expectation is that. Global FDI flows will be subdued in the second uh, half of the year. We can already see that, you know, in uh, in the first half of the year. Insofar as you know, there's data available, uh, and that's as a result of obviously all of the things that uh, you and your listeners will know about. That's uh, inflation having impact, uh, interest rates being increased to combat uh, inflation, geopolitical issues, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine in particular, obviously being the geopolitical issue in our own. Uh, doorstep, I suppose, here in um, Europe, and then um, uh, all of the other, I suppose, challenges that surround the international economy at this point. Um, that will have an impact on FDI coming into Europe. Um, our job, obviously, is to win as much uh, uh, of a share of that as possible. We increased our market share of FDI coming in uh, to Europe in 2020 in the midst of the pandemic. We held on to that increased share in 2021, and I'm hopeful that we will um, perform very strongly in 2022 on that. Um, 
you know, so lots of international issues which make it really difficult, uh, I suppose, to assess what the future will look like. But but the evidence on the ground from our perspective, both in what's approved so far this year and what we see in the pipeline is positive. If I was to turn my attention to kind of closer to home, um, I would say we uh, have uh, a number of issues which IDA, you know, has um, pointed to. There would be no surprise in those. We have said these at our um, you know, our mid-year results and end-of-year results uh, over the last two years, and they surround housing, um, energy, water, wastewater, and broader infrastructure, and, and the probably underpinning issue of, of planning. They are some of the issues which are on, um, you know, uh, investors' minds as areas which could uh, impact on in, in investments. And uh, so, you know, I would describe those broadly as the carrying capacity of the economy. It's the ability of the economy to absorb um, I- the investment that's coming in and indeed the growth that is happening in Irish companies and indeed, of course, the increase in population in Ireland, which we know is happening. And uh, obviously, all of those issues uh, have been well ventilated. They are, you know, um, uh, issues which are of priority to government. And, you know, our exhortation would simply be that they are progressed uh, as quickly as possible in terms of uh, solutions. What's the extent of, of worry on those from the chief executives you talk to? I mean, something like housing must be a real issue. Now. Rental costs must be a real issue for companies trying to attract people to Ireland uh, from overseas, for example. There is no question, but obviously housing features in our discussions with um, uh, with investors. I, I think it is important to say that um, it is not an issue unique to Ireland and, and that, that isn't to minimise it and it isn't to minimise the importance of it to the people who it is impacting directly uh, and I certainly don't want to do that. Uh, I think we all understand uh, how challenging it, uh, the market is here. But but it isn't unique to Ireland and I suppose our the companies that we deal with typically uh, operate on a you know with a global footprint and they're experiencing the very same problems that I have uh, mentioned variations of them or indeed other problems and issues uh, in in all of the locations that they are operating in uh, so it's you know it is a competitive uh, I suppose scenario and we need to be as good as possible at as many of the things that we do uh, as possible and then you know um, companies will make decisions on balance uh, obviously, you know, the issues that are, are, you know, that I have mentioned and that are known, we, we will get some, I think, um, flexibility and time to show that they can be resolved. I mean, I think the issue will be if we're still dealing with them in a number of years time, well, then, you know, it will be more and more difficult for investors to make uh, decisions positively for Ireland. Having said that, you know, the evidence is clear from the last number of years and from the first half of this year that investors still have that confidence in Ireland and they are still uh, making positive decisions for Ireland. Yeah, you mentioned the planning system there. I mean, is it is there a risk that investors get fed up with the pace of of stuff in inverted commas being done here, housing infrastructure projects, etc.? Uh, I, I think, you know, there's uh, there's a real challenge around the existing planning system. Uh, again, this is not something particularly new in that, uh, you know, as I've been very clear, there has to be checks and balances in our planning system. Everybody understands that. Our our client companies, the investors that invest here, understand that. 
they are not looking for certainty of outcome when they um, uh, put in a planning application. What they are looking for certainty around is process and time. They, they want to know how long it's going to take and what is the process. And whatever the, the bar is in that regard, you know, uh, investors are willing to, uh, you know, meet that bar. I think what is uh, n- not acceptable is where, you know, planning um, processes go on for extraordinary extended periods of time, which really make the investments from the companies Im- impossible in that, you know, they're obviously doing this in a time bound uh, uh, time frame and uh, it-, it makes it really difficult for investors. Just finally, then, are, are coming towards the end of Monte Energy, which I suppose is the issue at the moment. Are your clients worried about, in the short term, I suppose, about the threat to energy supplies or energy prices, which you know are coming under threat from from Russia at the moment? And then, in the long term, obviously, there are questions about energy security for Ireland, uh, how Ireland is positioned. Questions there that probably need to be answered. So I, I think, you know, investors are keenly aware of, of both issues in terms of energy security and uh, energy uh, supply. And I think, you know, if we start with the uh, security piece, I mean, our, our Ireland probably is as well placed as any European country at the moment in terms of our uh, lack of dependence on, on, on uh, Russian gas, for instance. You know, our gas comes from... Yeah. Uh, it, it, via the UK, um, so that's that, that's obviously a positive. We don't have particularly diversified sources. That is obviously something that I think over time has to be uh, addressed. Um, in terms of our electricity supply and the grid, there are obviously challenges there um, uh, in relation to the grid needs further reinforcing. We need more uh, dispatchable power. Very much welcome uh, government's recent announcement in relation to um, procuring more dispatchable power for the uh, coming uh, winter. I think that will give a lot of uh, confidence to um, uh, companies. Um, but there is still a situation where, particularly in the greater Dublin area, that we have now a challenge in relation to electricity supply. And uh, and that obviously is having an impact uh, from uh, an investor um, uh, perspective. Uh, Moving to the other side of it, cost is obviously um, a, a challenge, a challenge for everyone. It's a challenge for households, it's a challenge for um, companies. At one level, uh, you know, you could say that, well, costs are increasing everywhere uh, and particularly everywhere in, in Europe that, you know, energy inflation is very high. Uh, unfortunately, our competition isn't just within Europe. Our competition is across the globe and not all uh, jurisdictions are dependent on Russian gla- uh, gas uh, and they have their own gas supplies and uh, they haven't seen the same inflation even where they have seen inflation they haven't seen the same inflation as we have seen and experienced in Europe to date uh, so that I think again if that situation was to persist uh, in the long term it creates a, a competitive disadvantage for Europe relative to other locations in terms of attracting investment. You've also been outspoken on the issue of data centers which obviously is linked to the whole energy issue are we shooting ourselves in the foot in terms of attracting future technology investment by making it more difficult for data centers to come here? Or is this something we need to do given their huge, huge uh, intake of electricity? So data centers are obviously a really important part of the uh, technology ecosystem. And uh, if, if we want to continue to win significant technology investments, in my view, then we have to be able to also cater for 
uh, the data centers that support uh, the technology companies to do uh, their business. Uh, you know, I think the issue we have now, I, I, I've been uh, pretty clear on, I, I believe it is a supply side issue. It isn't a demand side issue. Uh, the demand uh, side could be absolutely forecast well in advance. Uh, you know, uh, we need we need to address the supply side issue. And it isn't just a data center issue, just to be very clear. Uh, you know, this is an issue for any large energy users and you know and we have high value manufacturing here uh, we have data centers and all of those are really important investments and we need to be able to service uh, those investments uh, you know very much uh, support um, the air grid strategy in relation to uh, shaping our electricity future uh, we you know from my perspective is just getting uh, all of these things done as quickly as uh, as possible that's that that's what needs to uh, needs to happen Okay, I'll let you go now, Martin, but just before you go, um, is there a particular project or a couple of projects that you remember from your time in the IDA Ireland? A couple of the sweetest wins? They, they, they're all my children, uh, Cliff, so I'm not, going to, uh, I'm not going to name one of them. And uh, I, I, think, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, from, from my perspective, the, the important things, um, you know, over the last eight years have been uh, firstly, the scale the scale of I- I- investments that we have had and the scale of growth in both jobs and investments, uh, you know, has been particularly um, uh, gratifying. And and the, going back to my earlier point, the fact that we have been able to maintain uh, jobs in existing uh, companies because uh, a huge amount of work went into that. The second thing is the um, the fact that we have made such progress on regional investment. Uh, that has been, you know, a core focus of what we have been trying to do, what I've been trying to do. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it features in every single meeting I have with uh, my uh, team in IDA. And, uh, you know, I think we've made really good progress uh, over the period. Again, lots to be done, you know, and we'll never, you know, everybody will never be happy uh, that, you know, any region or any county or any um, parish has enough uh, investment. But we have made, I think, a real uh, step change. And then... Um, thirdly, uh, you know, I have, uh, uh, again, a, a fantastic team in IDA uh, who do all of the work, uh, it should be said. And, uh, um, you know, uh, but we have done a lot in, um, uh, I think, uh, reinvesting in IDA as well in terms of uh, the, Im- the infrastructure of IDA itself, the culture of IDA, the tools to do our, uh, to do our jobs, uh, digitalization of IDA and so on. And I'm happy with um, the progress that we have made on that as well. What's next for you, Martin? Uh, I, uh, I, I will tell you in good time, uh, Cliff, but uh, at this point I am focused today and tomorrow on being CEO of IDA and uh, and the day after that, for, for that matter. And uh, I haven't uh, committed to anything at, at this point. Uh, and I might take a short break after this uh, after this role. Okay. Uh, Martin Shanahan, um Congratulations on on, uh, on a great run in the IDA and all the best for the future. Thank you. Thank you, Cliff. That's all for this week. Thanks to our guest, IDA Chief Executive Martin Shanahan. This week's show was produced by Suzanne Brennan. Kieran Hancock will be back next week. In the meantime, from me, Cliff Taylor, goodbye and thanks for listening.